Joe Manchin took his war on workers and working families to new lows over the weekend as he announced on Fox News that he was pulling out of negotiations with the White House over the Build Back Better social programs. But these negotiations have long been a farce. From the beginning, Biden pursued a ridiculous strategy, praising Manchin in public instead of building pressure and offering concession after concession to Manchin. Now the situation has reached an impasse that only mass struggle can break. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality. There's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are joined again by Professor Richard Wolff, who talks to us every Wednesday in this regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, Marxism and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week. Thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash The Socialist Program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work, the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. We're also encouraging people to get the new hard copy edition of Professor Wolf's book, Understanding Marxism, which has been released recently and which features a new lengthy introduction, strengthening the case for why Marxism is worth understanding. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. Richard Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. So, of course, there's a lot of hand-wringing going on, a lot of anger, and it's understandable, really. I mean, the Build Back Better social programs that were introduced by Biden, by the Biden team itself, and they made it like sort of the anchor of their you know, domestic legislative agenda. It was a program that was, you know, in a way out of character with Biden. Biden has been a centrist, center-right, perhaps right-wing would be a better way to say it, Democrat, since he entered the Senate representing Delaware, corporate-friendly Delaware in 1972. But a lot of things happened in the last couple of years that have pushed the country to the left, certainly pushed the Democrats in a way to the left. When you think about there was the Occupy movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, the unexpected sort of monumental support for Bernie Sanders among young people. There was, of course, the nationwide uprising after George Floyd was killed. That 35 million people, according to many surveys, about half of them 
protesting for the very first time, took to the streets. The whole sort of effort from the grassroots has been pretty phenomenal when you look at what's happened in the past decade. And so here you had Biden coming in with a legislative agenda that was by far more progressive or more expansive than anything since LBJ's Great Society. Here's what was included originally. First, it was a $6 trillion program, then $3.5 trillion as Biden kept meeting with Manchin. It kept getting whittled down more and more, but it included two free years of community college, child care and universal pre-K. This was pretty big. Medicare expansion that would have provided Medicare benefits for older people, people over 65. Right now in Medicare, you don't get coverage for dental, hearing, or vision because, of course, your teeth, your ears, and your eyes get only stronger as you get older. It would have extended the child tax credit. That's $300 a month for families. $3,600 per year. Pretty expansive. And again, I don't think it's because of Biden. I think it's because of this pressure on the Democrats from below. But the way this was handled by Biden, endlessly talking to Manchin in private, negotiating against himself, refusing to clearly and coherently tell the American people what's actually in the bill. You know, the provisions are very popular. And now you have this weirdness in America where Joe Manchin goes on Fox News on a Sunday morning and says, oh, I'm not going to vote for it. And all of the media coverage is, "Okay, now it's over because Joe Manchin has spoken. Anyway, a real statement about the state of the country. Go ahead, Professor Wolf. All right. There's a number of ways to go at this. I don't want to spend a lot of time unless you want me to about Joe Manchin. Um, He's nothing. He's a senator from one of the poorest states in the United States, and he represents this poverty-stricken state, being himself a millionaire in the deadest business there is in this country, namely coal mining, an industry that is responsible for the poverty of West Virginia, and that has made him a millionaire, that the people of West Virginia would make coal magnates like him, representatives, tells you about the state of democracy in that part of the country, namely its absence. There's nothing there. He is what he is, and he is what he has always been, a businessman looking to make a buck, and everything else is subordinated. He's simply doing that now, thrust into the limelight as the protector of businessmen and women in general. His biggest problem with the Build Back Better was the fact that it contained increases in taxes on corporations and the rich. Most of the rest of what he said is just window dressing. People in his office give him this stuff. It's the standard stuff that he's supposed to be concerned about inflation uh, and other things like that. It's pathetic to watch as he reads the scripts of what I doubt he even understands. So that's not the important thing. The important thing is that the country faces what I believe is an existential crisis. And I've said this before, but I want to emphasize it again. We have had public health disasters in the past, like the Spanish flu in 1918. And we have had economic crises in the past, like 
more recently, the Great Recession of 2008 and 9, then the Great Depression of the 30s. What we have never had before is those two kinds of catastrophes happening at the same time. But that's what we have now. In 2020, and now again in 2021, and with the Omicron variant of COVID, will certainly last into and probably through 2022. We've never had this before. Over the last 18 months, more than half of the American working class was unemployed for some period of time, during which they were also locked down in their homes, denied all sorts of income opportunities. I mean, what a spectacular crisis. And in that crisis, the programs of the past that would have been monumental to deal with either of them alone now had to confront both of these events at the same time. We've never had anything like this. And yes, of course, Brian, you are right that even a centrist blind as he has always been to the country's real problems like Biden understood he had to come up with some kind of program. And so he put together a mild, inadequate version of the New Deal, made a lot of comparisons with the New Deal, even though the crisis of the New Deal wasn't as bad as this one because of the admixture of the pandemic. And his program wasn't proportional to this situation, not even close. Okay, but he did at least something. And then he participated, as you rightly say, in the political theater of winding down his proposal to the next to nothing that Manchin has now said he wouldn't support either. Okay, what is going on is a society plunged into a major crisis, looking at an indefinite future of crises like this, unable and unwilling to mobilize its resources, public and private, to meet the problem. That's what is needed. Anyone with half a brain knows it. And to leave this without the federal government's help is simply to enter into a very difficult fight with one and a half of your hands tied behind your back. It is, it is so self-destructive that it raises the question, is there something going on so deep in this country that makes it immobilized like this? And let me give you just one statistic to help underscore what it means that this system could not mobilize a partnership of public and private resources to deal with its problems. We have already failed to do that with COVID. That's why, even though we're one of the richest countries in the world, and we only have 4.5% of the world's people to worry about, we account now for 16 17% of the world's deaths from COVID. Rich country, well-developed medical system, complete failure in dealing with this 
disease. And for the last 30 years, we have had an economic growth record of 2 to 3%. I'm going to compare China. Why? Because they know how to mobilize their public and private resources. So instead of the 800,000 dead people from COVID that we have, they have 8,000. 1% of the number of deaths the United States has. Is that because the Chinese have a better medical system? No, they don't. Is it because China is a richer society than ours? No, it isn't. What they were able to do was mobilize their public and private resources to really lock down and defeat this disease on a scale that the United States couldn't imagine, let alone achieve. Now, this is a sign, if you ever needed one, of what kind of society is capable of coping and what kind isn't. And that's what we're watching. The failure of Biden and Manchin in their duet, like ballet dancers in front of the cameras for what passes for politics in this country, that they could sit there and in their little competition, the Republican is saving the business community from taxes and the Democrat is trying to get money to throw at as many people as possible to secure their votes. This kind of politics reaches a stalemate, but the bigger stalemate is not the Republicans and the Democrats. They're the puppets, the puppet master the one pulling the strings, is a system so committed to private profitability of its business community that it cannot even rise to deal with problems that threaten its very existence. One last comparison. World War II, the United States mobilized its public and private resources to fight a war with German Nazis and Japanese and Italian fascists. It did that. I want to remind people the government took over the American railroad system. The government took over the shipping system of the country. I mean, literally took it over. Made interventions far beyond what Roosevelt had done in the Depression or that had been done at any other time in American history that was comparable. So we know we can do it, but whatever has happened to American capitalism in the interval from the 1940s now until this part of the 21st century, it has meant that the so-called privatization of the economy has created a stalemate between the public and the private sector the private sector in the end calls the shots, since after all, they're the donors and the politicians have been captured by their donors. So we are frozen and we are like the proverbial deer in the headlights of an oncoming truck, frozen there until the truck arrives to where the deer is standing. And I'll repeat myself, and I haven't said this before, this is an existential problem. We are watching a slow motion self-destruction. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned 
China, you know, and people only hear demonizing things about China. I think the Washington Post must have like a unit of reporters that is devoted to writing a story every day about any grievance any Chinese person has in China. I mean, some of them are really amazing, but it's like this constant steady stream of anti-China stories. And, you know, it's like, that's what people are learning. Americans have turned against China. Like the polls show that animus and hostility towards China compared to, say, 15 years ago, you know, has really risen. And there's no other explanation for it except the way the media is actually treating it. But as you mentioned, China was very, very effective in dealing with it. Now, China was the first country that learned of COVID, and they reported it in early January to the World Health Organization, to the American CDC. But they didn't have the same sort of time period that we had, that the U.S. had, that the U.S. government had to get ready. They had to kind of swing into action. And because China, even though in aggregate terms, is a growing economy and in many indices will surpass the U.S., it's still a much poorer country. The uh, per capita income in China is about 12,000. Average per capita income is about 12,000, much, much lower than like the Americans. So it's still a developing country. And even the Chinese government says their goal by 2050 is to be a medium prospering, thriving country. With all that said, what happened in Wuhan is really interesting. They locked the country, they locked the province down. The Wuhan itself is a capital of Hubei province. They locked the whole province down. 70 million people, that's like the size of France. Uh, Wuhan itself is 12 million. And then the Young Communist League, or whatever the name of the Young Communist Organization is, mobilized thousands of volunteers, the Doctors and Nurses Volunteer Organization, which is a mass organization. It's sort of a quasi-government, but it's really, uh, it's volunteers, you know, people, people who really care about it are in it. They all mobilized. They kind of swept into Wuhan and every family was visited by a nurse a couple times a week. There was testing all the time. There was contact tracing to see who might have been in contact with whom. Everybody was fed. The government or the volunteer organizations brought meals to people's homes. Nobody lost their job. Nobody lost their salary and nobody lost their home at the end of the thing. So as terrible as the lockdown was, and it was, I mean, they were locked down for almost two months. They didn't lose everything. And, it, and when they came out, they felt like this united sort of spirit that they had you know, confronted an enemy, an adversary and succeeded. And then there was a huge party that went on for almost a week in Wuhan, where everybody was out dancing and singing and drinking and socializing. I mean, it's just such a different system. And again, the American people are have a deficit because they're not told any of these positive things about China, only every negative thing you can say. And of course, you could say negative things about any country. But anyway, I want to just emphasize this because actually you are a little, I think your numbers are a little bit off. You said about 8,000 Chinese dead. I'm looking now with the recent government statistics, they're still saying it's still under 5,000 and they reported 81 new cases two days ago, 81 in a whole country of 1.4 billion and 33 were asymptomatic. Anyway, I just want to emphasize this point for our audience because, you know, it's not only bad for China to have a cold war against China, it's a it's bad for Americans because we don't know what the hell is going on. Yeah, you know, let me give a, a completely different example of, of how bizarre this has become. 
and I don't mean to change the topic from Mansion and Build Back Better, but the story of China is at least as large a story. Here's another way of thinking about it. The future of human communication, especially over distance, of communicating texts, data, speech, and images is all being done now by wireless communication mechanisms. That's an industry. And there are companies, private companies, that dominate that industry, that provide the mechanisms, literally the machines, the smartphones, and all the others that accomplish communication, wireless communication. The industry is dominated by five private corporations. And I'm going to give you them in the order of their importance. These are five global corporations that produce for and supply a global market in wireless communication equipment. The largest one in the world that alone provides about 30% of the market is the Huawei Corporation, which I'll come back to later. It is Chinese. Number two is the Nokia Corporation that is based in Finland. Number three is the Ericsson Corporation that is based in Sweden. Number four is the ZTE, initial ZTE Corporation, which is, again, Chinese. And coming in fifth out of five is the Cisco Corporations, an American company. So let's be real clear. In this cutting age, focused on the future, crucial industry, the United States comes in fifth out of five. It controls about 10% of the market. Okay, this is a reality. China, Finland, and Sweden are countries that most of the world points to when they think of the word socialism. They have different ideas of what that means, but they all take that label and they have for a long time. The one that isn't socialist, is proudly non-socialist, is the one that came in fifth out of five. What's going on here? Well, every one of the governments I've just mentioned helps their respective company. So that isn't the difference. There's something going on that puts the United States, which once was normally number one in the cutting edge industries of the last 50 years, coming in fifth out of five. Okay, now you may get a clue as to what the costs are of the fact that I would guess most of you didn't know what I just told you. And you can all confirm it very quickly using your search engine on your computer. Here are some of the implications. The United States under Trump initiated trade war, tariff war, every kind of economic discrimination against China. It culminated in arresting the daughter of the Huawei Corporation's chairman. Huh. The number one industry, obviously outcompeting 
Cisco, which came in fifth out of five, is now being hobbled, targeted, banned, arrested by the United States, which is where Cisco is located. Might there be a connection? Well, you'd have to know something in order to think it, let alone investigate why it might be there. The explanation given by the United States government was that there were linkages between the Huawei Corporation and the Chinese military. Well, I'm no expert on those connections, but I assume they're there since the military has to make use of wireless communications in every country, and that would include China. But just to be on the safe side, I did what any American who paid attention and knew something about these things would have done. I went to the website of the Cisco Corporation, where I quickly discovered the proud announcement by Cisco of the many ways they cooperate with the Department of Defense here in the United States, which would surprise no one. But you've never heard the Chinese say they won't deal with Cisco because it's connected to the American military. You'd never hear a European reproach anybody else, including the Americans or the Chinese, for such nonsense, since everybody does what is, but you can only play these kinds of games if you are, in fact, blocked from understanding. And likewise, Biden and Manchin can only play these games of negotiating as long as no one raises the question. You two people are like that famous emperor in Rome, Nero who fiddled while the city burned and then wondered why those fires devastated his city. It's because you didn't mobilize the public and private resources to deal with this problem. You were too busy carrying on the stale, old politics of Republican versus Democrat as if that exhausted political possibilities. It doesn't. The irony is what it exhausts is the time left for American capitalism. So interesting, Richard. I want to end with one point, which is since you digressed, I'm going to digress too, but we're we're digressing for a cause. Um, You know, when you think about what the priorities are of the U.S. government, given this existential crisis, the economic crisis and the public health crisis, the pandemic happening at the same time, coinciding. In the last months, the Biden administration has been unable to send ambassadors to about 50 countries because Senator Ted Cruz has upheld the nominations. He's let a couple go through for like former Republicans like Jeff Blake and Flake, I mean, and uh, Tom Udall. But Generally, for all of Biden's other ambassadorial nominations, they've been held up. So the U.S. State Department is like for a third of the countries in the world, Biden can't send ambassadors. So they had an all night session two nights ago. Yes, as Omicron is sweeping the country, as so many millions of families are facing eviction, the Senate had an all night session where there was finally an agreement. And Cruz agreed that he would lift the hold on all of these ambassadors. And in exchange, the prize that he got that he's been seeking 
is that the Biden administration will agree to put sanctions on Russia and the Nord Stream 2 companies because they're going to continue to provide natural gas for Germany. Biden had resisted it for a year, not wanting to antagonize the Germans, insisting that they do something that's actually very harmful to them. But Cruz has succeeded. So you're in the middle of these two existential crises, or they combine, they become an existential crisis. And the U.S. government can't even send ambassadors to a third of the world because one senator insists that the U.S. ramp up a war against Russia or a near war and also antagonize German allies. Again, a big, the biggest capitalist government in, in Europe and the most important government in the EU. I mean, it says so much about why the U.S. can't do what needs to be done in even the most basic things because of the right wing character of these political entities that we tell the rest of the world are the greatest institutions for democracy of all time. Anyway, I'll give you final the final word. Yes. I mean, and again, because I want to stress that this is more than a sequence of particular cases, that there is an existential crisis building here. The price of energy in Europe is extremely high. They are talking about freezing during the winter because they don't have enough energy to heat their homes. One of the purposes of the Nord Stream pipeline was to bring Russian gas into Europe to lower the price and deal with their crisis. If you successfully block that, not only are you damaging the economies of Europe, well, maybe the United States thinks that's a competitive advantage to screw Europe and somehow benefit the United States. But here's an interesting side effect. If you can't get the gas, you're going to turn to two other sources of the fuel to keep your home warm. And the Europeans have told us more burning of fossil fuel oil and, you guessed it, much greater use of coal, which is the worst polluter of all of our energy sources. So this lovely arrangement worsens the problems of pollution, of climate catastrophe. This is a country that is so beset with the problems it doesn't face up to that even when it maneuvers to get an advantage over here, it causes the catastrophe over there to get even bigger. These are signs of system breakdown. And I don't want your audience to leave without at least thinking about that larger dimension of these particular situations. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. There's a new hard copy edition of Professor Wolff's book, Understanding Marxism. It's been recently re released. It has a new lengthy introduction. We encourage everyone to try to get their hands on understanding Marxism with the new introduction. You can check out all of Richard's work at rdwolf.com. That's R-D-W-O-L-F-F.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow with our segment that we do every Thursday called The Real Story. And then we're taking our first break since we started this show 14 months ago. We'll be off 
for the week between Christmas and New Year, and we'll be back on January 3rd. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.